It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome again. Matt Hausman, your host for the Smart Money Questions Podcast. And today I'm excited because I have a special guest who, if you've been listening to the podcast for quite a while, you'll re- distinctly remember his voice from going all the way back in the beginning. And that is my old, um, Walter, what would you say? We were the co-host, correct? Yeah, co- the co-host tandem of Matt Hausman and Walter Storholt. <laughs> exactly. Now, truth be told, everyone, he actually drove the bus and I was just there to kind of laugh around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I drove the bus, but you were always the expert and the one with the actual good advice. So I, <laughs> well, I, I was I was the pretty face of the duo, but in audio world, that's just a good voice for the show, <laughs> not an actual actually, pretty face. <laughs> so and speaking of the voice for you, uh, people that are listening new, you haven't l- listened to those old ones. You can tell that voice um, maybe because Walter used to be the voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels women's basketball program. And, and Walter, how long did you do that? We uh, d- did it for seven seasons, and uh, okay. and it was uh, in- enjoyed it. It was great, and um, it just kind of it got to the point where it was becoming more of a it was a hobby instead of kind of like a future career aspiration. It had kind of morphed into that, and and that was fine. Until it just, you know, it became pretty grueling to keep up with it while still trying to, you know, grow a business and and grow a media company and um, and that kind of thing. And it just kind of became, if it's not going to be a future career opportunity, it was probably about time for me to uh, to start, you know, wrapping it up and giving somebody else a chance to get in there and, and scratch their itch at, you know, doing the broadcasting dream in sports. And so I had a great ride and really happy that I was able to do it for so many years. But I think I got out at the at the right time, especially seeing where the world is right now. I'm glad I'm <laughs> not having to deal with, you know, not having a job this past spring calling games. And actually, so uh, speaking of that, um, how have things been for you with with all of this, you know, our uh, our, our business of um, you know helping business owners across the country essentially host and uh, produce their own radio shows and podcasts, and that's how we met and helped you starting to do your show. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, we were primarily a radio company just three years ago, and we have grown the podcasting side of our business over the past three years pretty tremendously. And it does line up; our growth lines up really well with when I stopped doing women's basketball. Um, So getting that extra 15 to 20 hours a week that I was spending doing women's basketball to be able to focus on the business, I think really lines up perfectly with helping it grow. And I'm not saying I'm the only one responsible for its growth as it's been a team effort to get it to that point, but um, just being able to truly focus on one mission and one task um, was definitely really helpful and beneficial to kind of strike while the iron was hot. And um, I'll tell you, Matt, the transition to this whole working from home thing has actually worked out really well for us as a company. Doing a more remote working kind of setup and situation was something we'd always talked about trying out and transitioning to. And it's been nice that this has kind of forced us into that experiment. And our company's been able to handle that that changeover to the remote working world pretty well. I mean, it hasn't been without some adjustments and, you know, who knows what the long-term impacts of those things will be. But from a short-term perspective, we were able to pick right up and, and keep rolling as the world had to make that at-home work transition. I will say it was kind of funny right at the beginning of the pandemic, though. 
because I have a I, I have an an office at home that's detached from the the house, so it's an above the garage mother in law suite, and that and I had already been working from home three to four days a week, so just making that five days a week wasn't a big deal. But we were having it renovated right at the beginning of the pandemic, so right when we had to make that transition home, at least for two weeks. I was kind of like everybody else where I was in the dining room trying to do interviews and do work and the dogs are barking at the painters all day long as they're coming in and out. So it was it was a bit of a challenge at the start, but uh, but then it settled back into, you know, kind of how I'm used to it being. Well, speaking of the home, I remember when uh, we did a podcast a couple years ago. You've been in there now for almost two years, right? Yeah, August of 18 is when we moved in here, and um, we've pretty much completely finished all of the inside renovations in the home, which has been really nice. Um, so most of it Connie and I did ourselves. Uh, we've repainted every single room except for the kitchen. We uh, put in recessed lighting into the living room. We've installed a whole bunch of ceiling fans. Maybe the biggest transformation was painting the screened-in porch. It was like this uh, brown wood paneling, and it was very dark and kind of dingy. And we put in some new flooring and then painted the whole thing bright white and uh, installed a new ceiling fan in there. And it just feels like an awesome space now out on the screened-in porch. We spend so much time out there. Um, and until it's too cold that the the space heater can't keep up, then we finally migrate inside. Then we stay out there until it gets so hot that the fan can't keep up. But for the most part, that's our living space out there. The house could be just as big as the screened-in porch if it was the screened-in porch. We could we could live out there. You know, we could do we could do everything out there. It's it's awesome. Our favorite spot of the house certainly. So now we're starting to transition to doing things more on the outside and focus on the exterior. So it's been a fun journey doing a lot of those things and just. You know, kind of fun to see what we can tackle on our own versus what we've learned. Like, I really don't like painting ceilings, so I'm going to hire that out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you there. I'll paint a wall, but I don't want to do a ceiling. So we're going to hire that out. Those guys come in, knock it out in like a couple of hours. And it's like, all right, that was money well spent. (laughs) Actually, and um, speaking of journey, remind everyone, I, I remember this distinctly on the process that you went through when you decided that was your home and what you did with regards to a conversation with the owners to where they chose you? Because if I remember right, weren't there a decent amount of bids on the property? Yeah. So the the home that we uh, had originally found um, was initially in our no pile because the the first picture of the home, actually all the pictures were pretty terrible, but especially the first picture of the home was at such a bizarre angle. Um, and it just made it look like the paint was peeling off the walls. And then the first three pictures were just of this like really dated fireplace from a weird angle. And then a shot of a bathroom with glare on the window. And, and you could see like one of the owners in the background. So it was just like not very good picture taking. So we kind of just initially threw it in the no pile. Uh, but then we kind of went back through and looked at the pictures a little bit harder and then looked at like the aerial view. And we said, you know what, actually, this looks like it might have a lot of potential. It might just be bad photos of this house. And so we went and took a look at it. And uh, I think it would have flown off the market a lot faster had they had good photos. And uh, so, yeah, we got into a bidding war. And so we wrote a letter to the owners and um, and just, you know, talked about how much we enjoyed the house and how we envisioned growing a family here and that we had appreciated all of the time and attention that they had put into developing the property into such a beautiful space. They have this beautiful garden in the back with a little koi pond. And you, know, you could just tell that they've really taken as good a care of it as possible. And so we said, you know, w- w- we think we would be great stewards of the property. And th- he wrote us a letter back that said he really liked the tone and the tenor of our letter and they uh, they chose our offer over a higher offer, 
which was pretty pretty exciting oh, to I us. I forgot that part. Yeah, yeah. The other offer, I mean, this is all what they were saying, right? So, I mean, right. you know, who knows if that was 100% accurate, but I felt like they were pretty much on the up and up. And so, you know, they, they asked us to come up a little bit in our bid, but uh, our, our realtor said it was still lower than what the other person's bid was. So, you know, I'm glad that we came up a little bit, met them halfway, and uh, ended up here because I, this is the interesting thing, Matt. I've still left my search up, like the, you know, I think everyone who's bought a home has probably done this, where even after you buy the home, you keep looking at other houses that match your search Correct. and everything. <laughs> there has not been a single home that has come up in our price range that matched the things on our on our list like this one has. I mean, I think we would have really had to settle for something totally different, or we'd be way higher in price point to find what we found in this house. So I think we bought at the perfect time and we were actually really fortunate that the pictures were so bad that it took a while for that house to go off the market and uh, we, we, we swooped in at the right time. I, I really have not seen a single home in this entire, in kind of our entire vicinity of where we would want to live, um, you know, meet those same criteria. So that's pretty exciting. That is. And um, actually when you moved, it was quite a distance from where you were living before that, correct? Uh, not too far. Only uh, I mean, next next city over, but still in the, oh, okay. the the triangle area of North Carolina. So about uh, about twenty five miles away. I mean, I used to work uh, literally three minutes from the office and traded that for more of a twenty five minute commute. But um, oh, you know, okay. we also bought the home that had a. That's big for us here in North Carolina, Matt. You know that that's that's a that's a long commute down here. Twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> 25 minutes up here, that could be like three miles away. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Depending on what time of day it is and where you're going. And at, at the height of traffic, that trip might take 30. So, I mean, that's just a, you know, that's a long time <laughs> sitting in traffic to get home here. <laughs> you mean, is it still like that? Because um, I actually have a client that moved from South Carolina to your area. And he really talked about how your area from a popular is really just exploding. It is. It is. Yeah. And, and especially with where where we moved to. So it's if anyone's familiar with North Carolina, uh, we moved from South Durham um, over to North Raleigh. And so uh, there's it, and basically you cross over RTP, the Research Triangle Park, in the transition between those two spots. And there's been a lot of growth in all the little towns and communities that kind of make up that that hub area. So, yeah, I mean, traffic is definitely not what it was just 10 years ago when I was graduating college. Traffic wasn't even been all that bad. And it's definitely a lot worse now. We still don't compare to, you know, the true big cities out there, but it's definitely a lot more clogged than it used to be. Although ever since the pandemic started, it definitely is not as crowded as it used to be. That, that afternoon traffic gets thick, but doesn't come to a complete stop anymore. So it's still pretty light out there in comparison to what it was pre-pandemic levels. With regards to the research triangle, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have uh, friends and stuff that maybe are in that. How have they, have they been going in to still conduct that research or are they are they also working remotely from definitely very heavy emphasis and adoption of remote working in our area from everybody that i've been able to communicate and talk to um okay. so I, I think a lot of the companies and businesses here have have embraced the work from from home lifestyle and are encouraging it as much as they possibly can even you know to now in in late july I think it's still something that's being uh, embraced by most. I think people are trying to do things in shifts or, you know, if you have to go in, putting in the proper protocols and all those kinds of things, everybody's doing their best. You know, we, we were starting to join that list of states that were shooting up in terms of their coronavirus numbers. We seem to have maybe been able to plateau a little bit lower than, you know, what happened to Florida and Texas and some other areas. Hopefully we've been able to kind of stem the tide of that rise a little bit. 
but yeah, I think we've, we've been very fortunate. I think job losses in our area have not been uh, as tremendous. Um, Amazon just announced recently that they're going to be bringing a warehouse to one of the suburbs of the area, and that's going to create a bunch of jobs. So we've been fortunate to still have kind of some growth happen through all of this. Well, and with regards to your business and you're working with business owners, advisors, realtors all over the country, what's the response that you're getting back from them? With regards to what you're talking about, like this idea of embracing the the work from home, what are they saying and what are they uh, relaying back to you? Well, the the, the real estate agents uh, that I've talked to definitely, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of have to be there in person. Uh, they're trying to adapt to technology as much as possible using like 3D imaging of a home, uh, doing a lot more like visual or remote walkthroughs of homes for clients and that kind of thing where they kind of feel like little like Instagram stars, right? Where they're walking around with their camera and Vanna Whiting the house for, for their clients as they're showing it around for those who don't want to see it in person. But and, and although they say that like home purchases are definitely up with people having never seen the house or they don't see it until maybe the final moment they go out and look at it. So people aren't going out and looking at six, seven, eight homes and then picking one. They're kind of narrowing it down to the one and then going and looking at that home and hoping that that's the one after the visual tours are over. So they, they've em- embraced new technology, but I think for big purchases like that, people still want to be in person. And uh, you obviously have your own perspective as a financial advisor in the, you know, the, the several dozen that I talk to on a, you know, seems like weekly basis. Everybody's experience is a little bit different. Some have been totally fine to want to transition to kind of a work from home model. Um, And we've had a few say, you know what, I'm going to just take this opportunity to fully move my business remote. And I'm just going to downsize to an office that I can just use as a meeting space for those who still want to meet in person. But for future folks that, you know, want to meet remotely, we've got that capability too, and just embrace it and be a part of it. In fact, kind of a funny story. My folks um, are close to retirement, and and they became a uh, a client of you know my my business partner and a good friend, uh, and and so they did a Zoom remote meeting with him and went through the planning process and are becoming clients that way and getting ready for retirement, which was kind of cool to see them go through that journey after having talked about it with so many advisors for years. And my parents are like not digitally savvy at all, uh, you know, very uncomfortable with a lot of the remote talk type stuff. And they went through it, which was pretty cool. Now, they had my encouragement through the whole thing, so that probably helped out a little bit. <laughs> right. But uh, they were like, this Zoom thing is really cool. And, you know, they went through the whole process that way. And and they fit into that category of uh, not, you know, not thinking they'd ever retire or be, or the, at least both of them would ever be able to retire. And we're totally surprised by, you know, actually going through the planning process, you know, what becomes possible when you get all your ducks in a row and get things, get things organized. So that was a pretty cool journey to to watch them go through. But yeah, it seems like people are itching to get back in person, though. On the whole, people still, I think when you're talking about big things like buying a house and life savings and planning for retirement, some folks are willing to adapt to that, you know, doing it all remotely. But I think there's still a really big push for people to be back in person. Yeah. With the the clients that we've spoke to and other people that um, we've been working with that, you know, will become clients, it's uh, it's about 50-50 on those that are, and I would say that the 50-50 with okay with all remote to wanting to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have clients in 10, 11 states right now. So we, we've been working on the aspect of working with clients remotely, but I, I do think there is, um, and many of those clients actually started here and then have since moved somewhere else. So they initially had that 
that in-person connection. It's interesting to see how things will move after we get past all of this with regards to um, what happens with commercial real estate. One of our clients works yeah. for a very large uh, hospital network, physician network here. And she, before that was doing kind of like what you were doing, you know, two to three days at home and then the other days in the office. And then uh, she's in data management. So she's not a nurse or a physician or, or someone that's providing healthcare. And what they have told her is all non-healthcare employees will go to one day every other week. Everything else is at home and they're looking to unload 80% of their commercial real estate that's not healthcare related. Wow. And they um and I was talking with a buddy of mine who is uh is a banker and has done work with this firm. And I found out in Metro Philly, they're a billion dollar a year revenue firm. Mm-hmm. So you I'm just wondering what's gonna happen with that commercial real estate with we've regards been, to firms we've, doing that. We've been waiting for it to happen, uh, Matt, but it just hasn't it hasn't come through yet. I don't it hasn't trickled through yet, at least in our area. Because we've been thinking the same thing because before the pandemic, we had already been talking about the future of our space. And we talked about some options of of adding space and really leaning into having an in-person team and more full-timers on staff and a lot of that kind of stuff. But then we'd also talked about going more remote and simplifying and reducing our footprint and maybe just having that space where, you know, we have a studio or two and then maybe just a room where people can, if they want to come into the office, they can come into the office kind of like a bullpen room. Um, or just have a meeting, a central meeting spot. But hey, maybe we don't we don't need as many as much square footage. We can really reduce that down. And then when the pandemic hit, we were like, all right, well, this might be an opportunity to reduce our our cost of a space, but actually increase the square footage because we were thinking that people were going to be going out of business and we're going to be moving out of their spaces. Landlords would be more desperate, and we'd be able to get a bigger space and maybe even in a nicer building for the same that we're paying now, if not even, you know, a little bit less, but we haven't seen it quite pan out that way yet. Um, it may just take longer to, to trickle down, you know, through over the next, I don't know if that's something that trickles through over the course of a year or two years as places finish out their leases and then don't renew them. Maybe that's more of, you know, when that's going to happen, but we've been kind of, you know, watching and waiting and seeing. And so we've extended our lease a little bit longer just to kind of wait and see and buy us some time to, to evaluate some more options. But I, I agree. It seems like it's going to cause some major upheaval in the commercial space. Even if we get a vaccine and this thing gets fixed, I think companies are going to rethink that risk of having that much physical space that they're reliant upon. Yeah. Now, are you, so you still have your current space? We still have our current space. Yeah. And, and we are a hybrid, uh, hybrid space. So we, we run the media company out of there. And then, uh, you know, my business partner also is a financial advisor uh, here in our local area as well. So he meets with financial clients and, um, you know, has a, a couple of f- people on the financial staff that are also in the space. So, you know, we, oh. sh- we share expenses on, um, you know, electricity and internet. So it's a pretty good setup to be able to, uh, to be able to do that. And you mentioned studio, and I know you're a media company. You mentioned radio and podcast. Do you also do TV? Uh, we have done some TV in the past. Uh, definitely a lot harder to get people to do TV just because it's so much more time and financial involvement. So I wouldn't say it's our, our specialty. Now, we've done a lot of like videos, and we're starting to do a lot more video podcasts 
and things like that. People are people are starting to dip that toe in the water and wanting to incorporate some element of video. Just always comes down to well, how professional do you want it to look? How much time and energy are you willing to put into it? Because you can pull out your phone and do it very cheaply, and you know, go the uh, Instagram influencer route. You know, <laughs> just hold it up and walk around with it and talk to it. Or you can go all out and have a setup in a in a stage and uh, you know put a, together a desk with professional mics and and really lean into it a little bit. So kind of interesting to see uh, a video uh, podcast. Now is that um, I'm unfamiliar with that. Would that like play on Apple Podcast or Google Play or how does that work? So typically you would take a video podcast and so you'd be putting it on YouTube, uh, the video element on YouTube, and then you would still have oh. the audio component be on all of the other on all of the other apps. Although they just oh, announced okay. uh, Spotify for anybody who uses Spotify is going to start hosting video podcasts. They're going to start allowing them because they they made that I don't know if you saw they made that big deal with Joe Rogan who has the the biggest podcast in the world. Um, they signed an exclusive deal with him. So he's going to be, his shows will no longer be available on YouTube as a video podcast or any other platform as an audio podcast. So he's getting this exclusive deal now in the Spotify world for a hundred million oh. bucks was, uh, was that Whoa. exclusive deal. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me back of the day when, uh, Howard Stern left FM radio and went to Sirius. That's right. Yeah. Very similar, uh, similar effect, I think to the industry made a lot of noise kind of a big deal. I think it would be, uh, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how that pans out because the, the thing about a podcast that's great is it's available in so many places. It's a very open source kind of thing. And so when you start signing exclusive rights and kind of taking it down that Netflix model route where your, your, your content is only available on one streaming service and you create these streaming wars, um, if the same thing starts happening in the podcast world, I think that actually will be kind of detrimental to podcasts because the nice thing is you can just, you can access it in so many different places. I'm sure we have people listening to your show that are on, on Apple and then others who might be on Spotify. Others might just stream it through your website. You know, so many different ways that they can access that show. That's what makes it beautiful. And so I think that could be threatened by too many of these licensing deals coming through. Yeah, but I'd take the hundred mil. <laughs> I would take the I would take the hundred mil absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> People were saying, "Oh, he didn't get enough for that deal." I'm like, "Look, a hundred mil mil for a podcast? Yeah, I'm taking that deal every day of the week." <laughs> you know, I didn't know that um, he had the. I guess what he has the largest listenership. I always thought it was uh, Tim Ferriss. No, he's uh, it, it is it is dramatically. Uh, in the direction of uh, of Joe Rogan having a huge, especially when you combine the amount of YouTube views that his that his show gets too, in combination with then the podcast views, the audio version, um, it's uh, it's a tremendous listenership for sure. Wow, yeah, pretty pretty crazy. Well, what else can you um with with regards to your media company? What other things do you see that could be positive coming out of this pandemic and the different um sources like what you were just talking about or the different things that people are doing or where you think that that, that media is going to go? You know, I'm definitely, uh, it's, it's been kind of a tough time for me as sort of uh, an audio snob, especially, um, because I, I'm, I'm such a big proponent of quality and, and getting good audio quality and, and, and making, it's part of our service too, is helping folks like you sound as good as possible on, on their shows. Um, you know, helping someone sound great on the radio, helping a, a lot of podcasts sound like they're recorded in a tin can. Um, and so it's, you know, we try to help you stand sh head and shoulders above the rest. So you're easier to understand and that kind of thing. Well, through the pandemic, I think everybody's kind of taken this step back and been able to say, well, look, you know, Al Roker's doing the news from his kitchen. Like it's, and, and he's got as much, 
support as anybody in the world helping him execute that show. And yet you're, he's still doing it off of Zoom like we're doing our conversation today off of, off of Zoom as we're recording the show. And so I think it has been kind of cool to see people just be able to kind of drop a little bit of that level of access and to say even more now, uh, it's okay if you have a kid run around in the background while you're on a Zoom call or, you know, some, <laughs> exactly. some sort of glitch. Or I think about the video that, uh, what was it, the CNN interview a couple of years ago where the guy was, um, I think, talking about Korean relations and something like that. And his kid crawled into the room while he was doing this very serious interview on CNN. And the kid starts, like, messing with stuff and knocks some books over. And then another kid comes in. And then the, the nanny, I think it was, came comes running around the corner and, like, crawls on the ground and grabs the kids and pulls them out of the room. And it was... <laughs> It was just huge news because this guy was trying to keep a straight face the whole time while all this chaos was going around him. Well, now, I mean, we would just chuckle at that and move on. It wouldn't be a, you know, wouldn't be a big deal now. So I think that's something that's been kind of cool is the level of access has been lowered a little bit, which is a good thing. More people can add their voice out there to the world. And I mean, that comes with its own consequences, as we've seen with social media and that sort of thing. But I think we'll see more people able to enter into the space of, of media, whether it be a podcast or you know, the traditional blogs and those kinds of things. And I think a diversity of voices is always a good thing. So, you know, I I see some positives like that coming out of it and just being a more remote world in general, I think can make things happen faster. Um, You know, the the ability to, you know, right now, if I wanted to, uh, you know, go down and visit my folks at the beach and needed to do this show with you, I mean, I could do it. I mean, it'd be more ideal to do it here in my main studio at the house, but I can, you know, have laptop will travel, a little transportable mic, and I can literally host a show from anywhere in the world. So I think that that, that flexibility, uh, that ability to move around, I think is just going to cause some some major changes in the in the industry and give us more options and you know maybe more content being produced to to parse through and, and figure out. Um, especially from the podcast world, we're still very young in the world of podcasts. Um, I think the the stat I've heard there's something like. I don't know, 128 million blogs are in existence. And, you know, we have less than, we have right around a million podcasts. So we still have a long way to catch oh, up. Wow. Yeah, we have a long way to catch up to the to the blog world and how many there are out there. And of that million podcasts, we're talking probably only half of them are actively producing new content, if that. So the numbers are actually still relatively low um, from a total voices out there kind of standpoint. So I think we're going to see a lot more shows produced also, interesting data, uh, radio listenership went down a lot during the pandemic, which makes sense. People aren't out on the road, aren't listening to their, you know, their typical radio shows. Uh, mm-hmm. But podcast listenership, the, it, it dipped as well, but not even, not even close to as much as radio dipped, and it has recovered much faster than radio. Um, so I think it's an interesting commentary on people listening to podcasts were able to adapt and change their habits to still find the shows that they were passionate about and enjoyed listening to versus folks in radio had a harder time of changing their habits and adapting to finding those shows on new platforms. So I think that shows that the podcast world is still definitely very nimble and that their that their fans, their audience, uh, can adapt to a, a changing environment a little bit faster. So I think that well, bodes well for the growth of the for the growth of the medium. Well and it goes back to what you said earlier is that there's so many platforms that you can get that content that's available compared to like Joe Rogan going just with Spotify. Mm-hmm. I think that really helps the idea of getting that content out there over multiple platforms is w- probably why it, it bounced back quicker than radio has. 
I think there's a really interesting debate to have about local versus national or global content as well, because we saw this with newspapers, you know, newspapers dying out, merging in with regional papers and just, you know, you lose that local coverage. And it's the same thing is happening in radio. Smaller hometown local radio stations are having a hard time surviving and will continue to be probably post pandemic as well. And so you're getting a lot more people moving to these podcasts, but you kind of lose that essence of your local station. And I kind of think it's pervasive in a lot of different ways in uh, not just in the media world. But uh, so you were talking about the house earlier today. It's just kind of ironic that we're having this conversation two years later We're we're refinancing now. And so we're, we're going through the final steps of the refinancing process. And what's kind of interesting is when I went to refinance, I was like, all right, it's in the middle of the pandemic. We're looking to refinance. And who do I go to to refinance the home? And so I filled out some forms online and I had a bunch of national companies contacting me with, with what sounded like good rates, but I lacked this like connection to the company. You know what I mean? Um, like, I, I don't know who this guy is. I filled out a form online. This guy's calling me and asking for my social security number and, you know, information to go run a background check and pull credit. And there was still this, like, I get that this is how the world works now, but there was still this bit of uh, hesitancy on my part to just have this random person that I'll, I'll never meet or know or have any connection to, um, you know, kind of handling that big transaction, that big purchase. But at the same time, I didn't feel a need to go meet somebody in person during the middle of a pandemic just to go through a home refi. And so I don't know if my experience will be what other people kind of sought out, but I found a lender who was not local, but was regional. So we're in, we're in Raleigh. I found a lender that's based out of Charlotte. So I kind of felt this connection of, okay, they're a North Carolina company. They're legit. I, I'm not just dealing with some random guy calling me. This guy has, you know, I see him on LinkedIn. I see him on the company's website. I had a conversation with him. And there was just some extra familiarity with that made me comfortable in dealing with that company. And we set up a no closing cost type refi uh, with them. So again, I'll never meet the guy, but it was kind of this like where local was still important to me in a way to, it wasn't local in my city, but local in my state um, to still have that connection. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like that battle is probably going to go on with somebody in your role as a financial advisor would be very similar of uh, maybe on the front end, people are going to want to still meet you in person, but they're okay and more comfortable now maintaining their relationship with you remotely. But there's still, I think, there's going to be that importance for a lot of people to have face-to-face interaction or some sort of tie-in with the person that they're working with, whatever industry we end up looking at. Yeah. And I think that goes back to, you know, the reality is we can talk about working remote, working from home, those, uh, you know, engaging that way, but we're still social people. So we, I know I am. And so I want to have that, that social interaction. You know, but I'm not afraid of technology either. So, you know, but I definitely, let me tell you when, when PA opened up where we could have outside dining, it was raining and I was waiting. <laughs> <laughs> there was no doubt, Maggie and I, we were out with the kids. Let me tell you. <laughs> that is so funny. See, I don't know when the next time we eat out at a restaurant is going to be. Um, and it's all about your perspective because, uh, you know, my wife uh, working at the hospital, she gets exposed to, you know, she's working yeah. directly with COVID patients every day. She sees them on ventilators. She sees them really 
struggling. Um, she's getting it pounded into her brain by all of her coworkers and the higher ups that they need to be good representatives of the hospital out in the community and follow all the protocols and don't do this, don't do that. They're having to wear face shields. I mean, the process that she goes through when she comes home to kind of decontaminate everything. We have this whole process that we go through now, kind of like you were seeing during the height of the pandemic with, you know, uh, it was the people were posting a lot of stuff about, you know, look at what my wife or husband has to go through when they come home from, you know, being a doctor, being a nurse to, you know, desanitize their clothes and go through all of that stuff. And, um, you know, so for her, she, like, she's not going to step inside of a restaurant or even want to eat outside of a restaurant for, for quite some time. Um, so I it's, can see that. it's definitely an interesting, uh, I, I think from a, the family dynamic, I know we have the country dynamic of, you know, I don't want to wear a mask. I do want to wear a mask. Let's shut down. Let's not shut down schools in, you know, remote schools. We have all of those debates as a, as a country, but I think even just in the home, uh, there are sometimes differences too, that it's always interesting to try and navigate around and, you know, I, I don't see what she sees. You know, I sit, I sit here and work from the house, like, like, a, lot, like a lot of other people, and, uh, you know, kind of have a totally different experience in my work lifestyle and also totally different representation of the virus. And so we have to try and reconcile that where I feel maybe much more comfortable to go do something. And she's trying to be maybe a voice of reason, pulling back and saying, well, well no, we really shouldn't do any of that. And finding where that risk level lives and what's appropriate, what's a, you know, what level of risk are you comfortable with? Um, it's just definitely an interesting debate within families without getting into the, the national debate side of it. Yeah. I mean, I can, uh, I can definitely see from what you're talking about. And it's interesting. You talk about that, uh, decontamination. I remember when Maggie was, um, going through the stem cell and the, I would have to go through a process to bring her clothes back. And then when she came home, the different things that we had to do at that time. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to play out in so many different ways, you know, personally and professionally, what people are doing socially and then how they're working, I think is going to be really interesting. And I, I actually think there's going to be a lot of positive that comes out of it. Just like what you were talking about, people able to produce more content and it doesn't necessarily have to look like you're, you know, you're spending a million dollars on, on how you're getting that information out there. I think it'll also solve the problem too of, of that, you know, a business can be a little bit more regional than they were before, you know, I, and, I, and I really think that that's going to be key over the next uh, next couple of years to watch that develop. Like if if there was a business or someone, some service industry that I wanted to work with, but they were on the other side of the triangle or in your case, they were just on the other side of Philly before the pandemic, you were probably very unlikely to, you know, want to drive all the way across the city for whatever that service um, or, you know, to visit that business or, or deal with them. In, in whatever it may be, as long as it's not something where they physically have to, you know, be there working with you, you know, you, but you in something, anything that you would have met with them in person in the past. But now, like, okay, well, you know, you might be a 30, 45 hour trip away to go see, but I still feel connected to you in a way. I'm okay. Let's do a video chat and video conference and solve the problem that way. There's a, there's a, our, our local, uh, our HVAC guy found a great HVAC guy the day we moved into the, to the house two years ago. Cause the, the day we were moving in in that. August, you remember, I remember this? you talking about his customer service. Our, yes, our, air, our air conditioning broke. And this guy was just sounded like a country bumpkin down here in North Carolina. And he's like texting back and forth with me. I'm sending him pictures of stuff and he's calling me and walking me through how to fix my AC. And I'm under the crawl space, like on the phone with him. And he's telling me what to press and look at. And we did a video chat and I'm like, this is awesome, man. This is so cool. And I was like, so, I mean, how do I pay you for all this? 
and he, he didn't charge you. He didn't charge me. He was. He was. I just, remember that. He was just like, when you need to replace that thing, you know who to call. And I was like, yeah, you bet. So, <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm going to help people solve their little tiny problems for free and easily remotely. And then when they need to actually replace the whole unit, who are they going to call? I mean, they're going to turn. They're going to come right back to me for that. So. I mean, I think it was pretty awesome. He was ahead of the curve in doing that. And I hope we just see more and more of that, that ability to just call up a business and say, hey, can you uh, video chat real quick and look at this? I did the same thing with the plumber, by the way. So he knew what he was walking into. I mean, you talk about uses for a business. I mean, I think that's great. Uh, Mm -hmm. He knew what he was walking into when he came to fix it. And that actually lowered the bill of what I had to pay him. It was a less of an hourly cost to fix the the pipes that I had burst in the wall because <laughs> he said, if you want to go ahead, if you're comfortable with it, go ahead and saw, you know, saw out a bigger cut in the drywall and take pictures of what the pipes look like and send it to me. That way I don't have to come there, look at it and then go get stuff to fix it. I can already come to your house with what I need to fix it and it'll just speed up the process and you'll, you'll pay less. And he gets to do more work during the day. He gets to fit in more things. So it seems like a win-win when we start using technology to our advantage in those ways. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Listen, but I just realized that we, we've been going at it for quite a while. This kind of reminds me back in the old days when we used to have to block off two and a half hours to That's do a 20-minute right. podcast. Right. We, we, we can get going, can't we? we? We talk for an hour before the show, then we do the show, and then talk for an hour after the show. <laughs> uh, too funny. Well, listen, but I so appreciate you jumping on here, and I'm sure that everyone uh, enjoyed your, uh, your comments there. Of course, we love the voice. For sure. So now you're the voice of Third Wheel Media, right? You, you got it. Third Wheel Media. If you need any help producing uh, podcasts or radio shows or any sort of uh, digital help uh, or just need a voiceover. Hey, I've always wanted to do an audiobook, Matt. That's like that's like my oh. hi- my hidden dream is to be an audiobook guy, you know, do. OK. You know, and so if anybody need, has an audiobook they want read, I'd be happy to be, uh, you know, you could be my guinea pig read. I'll give you a good deal on uh, reading an audiobook. So. There you go. Throw that out there. Well, good deal. <laughs> well, listen, Walter, thanks again for being on here. I remember we we did the podcast actually for what? About a year and a half. Yeah. Every week, right? Yeah. When, when you started your show, you said, all right, Walt, I, I, I want to, you know, because I, I think people, we've talked about this before, you're the uh, you're the Tom Brokaw. I mean, people, people think you talk about me having a good <laughs> voice, but you sound a lot like Tom Brokaw. And I know other people have, uh, have confirmed that in the past too. And so you started it off saying, I, I'd like to host my own show, but- to get started, I, you know, let's 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 co-host it together. You can help me get comfortable. But I think you were planning on taking over pretty quickly uh, after you got your feet wet. But I believe uh, you had gotten so much feedback that your co-host was so wonderful and amazing <laughs> that you, you kept me <laughs> around for a little longer than planned. I think that's what the story was. I don't know. I can't confirm that. But oh, that's no, it's well, it, hey, it's been it fun watching you do your show, sure. man. It's it's been fun <laughs> watching you grow. I enjoy listening to you do your show, and uh, you always have a fun way of presenting info and i like that you're very um you're just very casual in your show and i think that's the beauty of the podcast world is you can be informal and be casual and and just talk and and have fun and uh, it's very different from the radio world in which i started my training where we felt much more formal uh you had to follow the right rules and you know get out get out on time of your segments and you know had to be you know very careful about how you approached and said everything but you know, I'm also a rambler, so the podcast world this is, is like my dream. I could just keep going and going. You know, I had to stop. I'm sorry. You're, you're the host. You cut me off whenever you need to, though, Matt. But I was I, about to say, Lord knows I like to talk to you. <laughs> but it's been great seeing seeing your growth and uh, been fun popping back here on the show with you. And I'm glad that you and, and your family are doing well. And uh, we'll, we'll all keep trying to make it through, uh, you know, whatever the pandemic throws at us here over the next couple of months. But I do hope there's some light at the end of the tunnel to this whole thing soon. Yeah. 
I agree. Well, listen, bud, I appreciate you being here. Everyone, we appreciate you uh, listening. If you want to get a hold of me or schedule a time to talk, uh, feel free to do that, www.speakwithmatt.com. And my online calendar is there, or you can pick the phone up. As Walter said one time, I remember this, if you want to go old school, pick up the phone. (laughs) 610-719-3003. Listen, everyone, take care. Thanks again, Walter. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Matt.